Welcome to All Fired Up. I'm Louise, your host, and this is the podcast where we talk all things anti-diet. Has diet culture got you in a fit of rage? Is the injustice of the beauty ideal getting your knickers in a twist? Does Fitspo make you want a Spitspo? Are you ready to hurl if you hear one more weight loss tip? Are you ready to be mad, loud, and proud? Well, you've come to the right place. Let's get all fired up. Welcome back to another fiery episode of All Fired Up. I can't wait to get stuck into this week's conversation. We're kind of building on a bit of a theme because last week we were talking about losing weight for God and the Way Down Ministries and how weight loss culture is getting its teeth into spirituality and religion and just how sucky that is. So this week, we are going to be talking about an organization called Overeaters Anonymous, which is a 12-step program uh, came out of the United States, and it does have chapters over here in Australia. So it does have its roots in spirituality or religion. So I guess another aspect of weight loss and diet culture getting wrapped up. So my guest is fascinating this week. Her name is Helena Brook and she lives in Arizona. She's a psychosocial diabetes researcher and she's also studying for a degree in marriage and family counselling. But the reason Helena's here to talk today is because of her involvement in Overeaters Anonymous. So she's had personal experience and she wants to come on the show and share her story and share her opinion about what is happening in OA and how it might be much less than helpful in recovery from people who are suffering with eating disorders and body dissatisfaction. So a really, really interesting conversation and one which I think is I'm just, I felt really blessed to have this conversation with her and for her to open up just as much as she did because we very rarely hear, you know, what it's like on the inside of places like this. So, really great stuff. And without further ado, I will give you me and Helena. So, Helena, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thank you for letting me come on. <laughs> so, what's firing you up? What's firing me up is seeing the suffering that's going on when people end up picking up some some really unfortunate ideas in, in Overeaters Anonymous and other 12-step programs related to food. Wow. Okay. So we have Overeaters Anonymous over here in Australia, and I know it's quite big in the States. So what about it? Like what's been your experience there with OA? Well, I was a member of OA for a little less than three years, and Mm -hmm. I got pretty involved in service in that organization up to uh, an international service committee. And so I got to know the organization pretty well. And it's a peer support organization for people who are struggling with food and eating issues, but primarily for people who are looking for an option to lose weight. And they also market to people with eating disorders. So there's that right there. Wow. But the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, you can't do both at the same time. You know, I don't know how familiar your listeners are with with 12-step and Alcoholics Anonymous, but OA is a similar principle, but because you can't abstain from food entirely, they have a variety of options of meal plans and things like, you know, different people follow no flour or no sugar or only eat three times a day with nothing in between or weighed and measured foods. They've got all of that. But then they sort of attach a 12-step model to it. And the idea is that if you slip on your diet, they call it a plan of eating, but if it's diet. So if you slip on your diet, 
Yeah. It's not a diet, but if you slip on your diet, you're told that you haven't done your steps right. You don't have a strong enough faith in God. You're not doing enough service or you're not humble enough. You're not working your steps enough. You're not going to enough meetings. And so it really fueled that compulsion that a lot of people with disordered eating already have and that shame cycle. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're not, like if you struggle on this quote unquote meal plan, which is really a diet, then it's your fault. And specifically, it's your fault for not working the steps correctly. Yeah. Wow. You haven't prayed enough. You haven't found your part in a problem well enough. You Mm -hmm. haven't handled feelings correctly. They call those resentments, but you know, every time you have a feeling, you're supposed to process it through the steps. And so it's this setup that we, you know, our community already knows as professionals that diets don't work, but they're taking a natural biological phenomenon of the backswing of when a diet fails and using it to beat people up. It's just once people go through that program and it hasn't worked out, the damage that people come away with and the wounds that that really need to be repaired and healed, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've worked with quite a few people after their time in OA and obviously eating disorders have a lot of shame attached, like you said. And people feel dreadful about being unable to stick to diets or being unable to be at their goal weight. But it seems to me that the people who have been involved in OA, their level of shame is much more marked than even people with an eating disorder. And I think that maybe that's what you're telling me is why, is because they have actually been shamed by the model when they haven't stuck to the diet that they tell them that they need to have in order to get eating disorder recovery, which just seems wrong to me as well. Yeah. Between calling people, saying that people have fat serenity, if they are, you know, otherwise happy, but living in a larger body to... Fat serenity, did you say? Yeah, fat serenity. So, so this is what they say. If someone is going to meetings and they're doing their steps and they're, I mean, the fact is most of the people in OA are lovely people. There are a couple issues of of sexual predation that I can get to in a minute, but for the most part, there's wonderful people, people who give everything they have to everyone around them and just, you know, interesting people, bright people. And the talk behind their backs, it's so cruel. And even people even refer to themselves this way if they're still in a larger body, but they're experiencing you know, everything wonderful in their life and they're navigating their life pretty well, people refer to them as having fat serenity, which means that they're not working the program right or they don't have real recovery because they're still in a larger body. Okay, so the word is used disparagingly as if it's not okay to be at peace with your body if it's larger. Yeah, I mean, as a matter of fact, like, you know, that sort of ties into some of the messaging that comes through the Lifeline newsletters, which is Lifeline is a periodical that comes out through the OA World Service office here in the States and New Mexico. And they publish writings that are submitted by members. But some of these writings, I saw one a couple of months ago that said, God cares if I'm fat. Another one, yeah, another one that said, my eating disorder is a gift from God. What? Wow. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and so essentially, like, instead of it just being the critical voice in our own heads that might lead us toward disordered eating or the media shame, sort of co-ops any given person's spirituality, whatever that might be, makes it into a punitive entity that sort of acts to contribute to the shame instead of being a source of strength for the person to find real support. Mm. Yeah, that has been 
I guess, my opinion of the model as well is that it, it seems in a lot of ways to be a giant eating disorder. And, yeah. you know, their idea of recovery from an eating disorder actually means being good with the eating disorder, like doing what the eating disorder yeah. says all the time and using the sponsors and the people in the network to ensure rigidity to the eating disorder rules. And shame if it doesn't work. I mean, I have a friend who is still in the rooms and I hear these stories, just, it just, it breaks my heart, but you can't, if someone's been convinced that, that they are wrong or bad or a failure or relapsing when, when really they've gaining five pounds is not a relapse. Using Mm. a disordered behavior is perhaps part of a relapse, but seeing people weigh and measure all of their foods throughout the day for weeks at a time, and then end up, you know, at the petrol station getting all sorts of foods that are not on their plan and then you know having a binge incident and then blaming themselves and talking about how they didn't pray hard enough and how they didn't make enough outreach calls and they didn't go to enough meetings when really these are people who are devoting their whole lives getting rid of their hobbies and stepping away from friendships so that they can go to these meetings every day. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty horrendous when you put it like that to understand the background of OA because this is not like an organization of health professionals. No. No. I want to apologize for the gift that we Americans have brought to the world of, you know, some of the elements of 12-step culture (laughs) and and have friends who have really enjoyed and benefited from being involved in some 12-step programs. It's a little controversial opinion, but 12-step programs for alcohol and drug use started in the 1930s in America as sort of a combination of a faith-based experience of a few men who were struggling with controlling their alcohol use and the idea that they knew that they could help each other. And fast forward to the 1960s, the same year that Weight Watchers was founded, a woman named Roseanne founded OA along with a couple of her friends. Mm -hmm. And it went through years of this group of people trying to find one diet after the next and saying, well, maybe we can have foods that are unlimited and maybe we can have this kind of food and maybe we shouldn't have that. And should we have diet soda? And it, it was the same diet mindset that's outside of OA as well. Fast forward to today and it's shrinking in numbers, I think, as people realize that the model just doesn't work for food, but it's still a situation where enough people come through the revolving door of the rooms and leave traumatized that it's an issue. But the way that it works, it's very similar to AA. People come in, they go to a meeting, they are encouraged to buy literature, they get a sponsor and they're told to work the steps, go to 90 and 90, which is a meeting every day for three months, things wow. like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I'm tired just listening to this. Yeah. yeah. You know, and not everyone does the 90 and 90 thing, but what that really does with people is between that and the three outreach calls a day that some of the OA programs follow, the idea is that the person needs to hear frequently that they are a compulsive eater or they are an anorexic or whatever it is. What's that about? What's that yeah. about? Oh yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so you're familiar with person, person first language, yeah. like person with diabetes as opposed to a diabetic, things like yeah. that. The idea of that, which is that's sort of the standard at this point, when you talk to someone who has an illness or is struggling with a condition in 12 step, the idea, instead of externalizing the issue, and you might be familiar with narrative therapy. It came out of Australia, but the idea of that, it's a brilliant framework helping people externalize their problems so that they can get a better handle on them. Yeah, um, it's this, this idea that you're a human being first and yeah. then 
the experience second kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. the idea in 12 step is that when you introduce yourself, it's always, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic or an addict or a gambler or, you know, whatever it is. And in, in a way it's, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm a compulsive overeater or I am a compulsive eater or I'm a sugar addict. And some people, the intro just sort of gets condensed to like Bob compulsive overeater. You know, it sort of tops the list of how people identify by the time they've been in there long enough. And then the process of going to meetings when they have people sharing, mm. every share if you've ever heard them, they have podcasts out there, but every share is sort of the same formula. My life was horrible when I had this problem. And then I came into the rooms and I worked the steps. And now my life is, they all use the phrase happy, joyous, and free. So it's very, there are specific words that they use. It's, it's a little cultish. It sounds a bit culty. Yeah. Yeah. And specific, like this idea when you were saying of at the beginning of your involvement with OA, you have to do frequent meetings and have frequent messages from sponsors to get to tell yeah. you that you're a compulsive eater or a food addict. Is, is that um, what? So people, I guess, choose to identify that way. You're kind of given the side eye if you don't identify that way in a meeting. Some sponsors won't work with you if you don't identify that way. For example, my first sponsor, when I asked her to work with me, she said, are you a compulsive eater? And I had to say yes. And so, you know, it's one of those things. They also have specific, like, I guess they're cliches or slogans of the program that are designed to sort of get you to sort of hammer out your ego the way they call it. But I think it's a little self-abusive. Some people, sponsors have them look in the mirror every day and say, the only problem I have today is me. You know, some people say, you know, one of the common ones in the rooms is my best efforts got me here, which means that you're not self-sufficient. Yeah. So they have those stinking thinking is another one, which means that you need to turn off your brain and just take what people say without critically thinking about it in order to recover. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. 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 Critical thought is discouraged. Yeah. Anytime that you're thinking for yourself. Yeah. Then there's a keep it simple, stupid, which, you know, is common outside as well. The list goes on. At every corner, it's this culture of sort of, I mean, in a nutshell, it's totally breaking down any sense of self-identity, self-determinism, or self-competence in your own ability to make decisions and heal. The idea being that you have to turn your life over to a higher power. But at the end of the day, you know, you're told, like the other one is find someone who has what you want and do what they do. And essentially what that means is pretty much copy your sponsor and everything, whether it be their food plan or their hobbies, things like that. You totally end up getting rid of any kind of sense of self you have. That doesn't sound like recovery to me. It just sounds like going further into the prison of eating disordered thinking. And yeah. what, what really bothers me is always this message that recovery is weight loss or getting to a goal weight. Like, you know, this whole idea that recovery from an eating disorder has anything to do with weight or with yeah. you know, pursuing a weight is horribly disturbing. But yeah, they, that seems to be it. Yeah. And then they take it a step further in that if anyone walks away from the program, 
the way that they're talked about is that if they walk away from the program and they're still in a larger body, people say that they've relapsed. And if they walk away from the program and they're thin, then people say they're, they're dieting. And so people who leave the program and choose a path of self-determinism, maybe a path with therapeutic support, that idea of being able to identify as someone who is able to move forward and heal that's sort of taken away from them. And so when you're a newer member and you hear about people who've left and everyone's either considered a dieter or a relapser, and then you hear constantly in the shares, if you leave, your disease is doing push-ups in the parking lot, meaning that it's going to be worse than ever if you walk away from the meeting. So you're never allowed to leave. Ooh. There are people with 40 years who they tell their story, but it's like, is it recovery if you're still going to these meetings, you know, decades at a time? I know a woman who eats six small pretzels for breakfast every day. She eats 1,300 calories and, you know, she's terrified to walk away. So. Oh God, that is just not recovery. And, you know, I guess um, a couple of things, because as a clinical psychologist and I specialize in eating disorders, our Mm. models of treatment for an eating disorder are completely different to what this is. And that word disempowerment just keeps popping up in my head that this is a completely disempowering way of approaching recovery. And it's not even recovery. What they're actually giving people is an eating disorder. And the people that I have worked with who have popped out of OA or, and actually when I think about it, quite a few of them have still been in OA while they've come to see me and they're really, um, they're really torn because they're actively being told not to seek professional help, that that's failure in some way. Yeah. to seek professional help and having the opinions of health professionals questioned as well. That's really scary stuff. Considering yeah. they're saying that, that they will treat anorexia, bulimia and binge eating, you know, targeting yeah. people with eating disorders. I think the other thing, and tell me if you've experienced this too, one of the other things that makes it really hard for people to walk away from that program is the fact that you do make very close friendships in there. You form these really very down to the core relationships because that process of intimacy in the rooms is so accelerated because by the end of every meeting, everyone's holding hands and praying together. People are told to call each other and confide their most intimate secrets. And in that process, you do end up forming a support system, even if it's a little bit contrived in some ways. And walking away from that can be a very scary thing for a lot of people. And the fact is that there just aren't... The one thing that I like about OA is that there is a built-in peer support system. And frankly, in the eating disorder world, we just don't have enough of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. boom, exactly, exactly. Like having an eating disorder is an isolating experience. And having a support network of people who get it is completely invaluable, I think. And that's probably, you know, on the plus side, what OA has going for it, that there is peer support. It's just a shame that the peer support is sort of saturated in the disorder itself. And, you know, how wonderful it would be to have a community like that with so much support freely available. Because the other thing about OA that's great is that it's free. And, you know, eating disorder treatment is not free in a lot of, not in Australia, not not in the States, not in a lot of places. So this is an accessible, you know, helpline for just so many people. So it does have those positive elements. And yeah, it is just a shame that in certainly in some of the more extreme groups that the support that you'll get will be like having, you know, a giant family of eating disordered people who are encouraging your eating disorder. 
Yeah. And the thing is, I know that a lot of people like to point out that it's free and, you know, therefore what's the harm. But I mean, as a psychologist, you probably know that, you know, the wrong intervention can be a lot more harmful than doing nothing. And there's another element to the OA culture that isn't talked about enough. I think mostly because most of the members tend to skew a little bit older, but you know, I've experienced this and I've had some friends who've experienced it, sexual predation within the rooms and financial predation as well. Wow. Yeah. So because it's peer led and there aren't any professionals who are beholden to an ethical standard and because they're is a series of guidelines for the program that are called the traditions that are really meant to protect the program, not protect the people in it. It's an interesting group of rules, but (laughs) that sort of environment of, you know, anonymity and secrecy at all costs, the environment of no one professional being there to look out for a member. I have a friend who was hit on by her sponsor's husband. I know someone else who a man in the rooms came on to her. My situation, I had a stalker for over a year. Oh my God. Um, who took a cab two cities away just to be in a meeting with me. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, there's no, you're told to look at your own part as opposed to actually getting some validation and support on it, which is a lot of people with eating disorders and disordered eating have a history of trauma. Yeah. And mm. being denied that, you know, being told it's all in your head or that it's your fault is is awful. And if you were to look on Google, a woman named Monica Richardson has been doing a lot of activism around this, but it's especially bad and especially well-known in Alcoholics Anonymous, but it does happen in OA as well. And it's terrifying to think that this happens to people and that they isolate and they, you know, they end up even more alone because the group that's supposed to be there for them is not available to validate their feelings around those things. Oh my God. Or to protect them and to kick the predators, you know, the hell out. Yeah. The traditions, it's a set of 12 rules that sort of a complement, they say, to the steps are designed to sort of guide groups in managing themselves. And part of that, there's, there's a whole book that goes with it, but the idea is that the greater good of the group comes first and things like that. And so it really shuts down anyone's chance of dissent. So there's that as well. Oh my God. So when you told, well, did you tell anybody and did you get help? Yeah. Yeah. So I ended up, you know, luckily I was in a position where I have a really strong social network outside of that program and as well as a therapist. And so I was able to navigate that situation better than I would have had I been a person without those means. Yep. So you went isolated. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was probably one of the two reasons that I walked away from the program. It wasn't the fact that the program didn't work because I had been indoctrinated in the program to think that it was my fault that it didn't work. So yeah. So the stalker situation paired with really the big thing, the big reason I left is because I had these three wonderful, beautiful, amazing sponsees, uh, people I was sponsoring who I knew I couldn't help them. I could be a friend, I could be a peer support, but you know, one of them threw her back out because of her purging behavior was so severe. I wasn't trained for that. I mean, I'm a psychosocial diabetes researcher and I'm pursuing a marriage and family therapy credential at this point, but at the time... You know, I had no business doing that. Oh my God. Yeah. Working with eating disorders is hard work and specialized work. My God, you must have felt really just confronted by the severity. Yeah. The severity of that. And, oh. And it was hard because my own sponsor had had purging behaviors and active bulimia for 16 years while in the program before, I don't know if it spontaneously stopped or what happened, but just seeing all of the grief and all of the suffering in there and the way that people were so quick 
to blame themselves and they're, you know, not having enough faith or tenacity or humility when really it's, it's an eating disorder. It's not your fault. It's not something that you need to identify as possessing for, you know, decades after the last time you had a behavior. Oh my God, no, it's so not your fault. And you're, you're not going to get help in that model because, you know, the other thing with OA, there is zero evidence that this is an effective intervention for eating disorder treatment. I did a bit of a search like to find the OA research literature, like, is there any? And found it's very sparse and yeah. produced by OA and it's not published kind of proper. There's nothing there that says... You can even see their disordered thinking in how they produce their survey data. Like you don't, you don't publish how many people are at goal weight as evidence of intervention success. Yeah, yeah. And Overeaters Anonymous, I guess from the 60s when it started all the way through when the DSM finally started including binge eating disorder, a lot of people felt like they had nowhere to go. And I think even today, there are eating disorder clinics out there who treat people who are, you know, of the medical standard weight with the idea that treating their eating disorder is first. But if someone's in a larger body, they think that the weight is as important or more important than the behaviors. And I think if we really want to to help people not fall into the trap of Overeaters Anonymous and other diet-based 12-step programs, our professions need to do a much better job. We need to smarten the hell up. Yeah, we need to take a look. I mean, this is one of my bugbears that even in, you know, standard psychological-based evidence, so-called evidence-based treatment, that we've got this stupid trend towards encouraging dieting behaviours in recovery. Yeah. Don't even get me started. But yeah, you're right. It's going to, and I was reading last night that in some eating disorder treatment centres in the States, that they will recommend OA in conjunction with eating disorder treatment for people who are suffering yeah. or larger, which is just what a mind yeah. fuck that is. <laughs> now, yeah, I have a good friend who's a, a dietitian who recently left, you know, a major eating disorder treatment facility because they wouldn't drop the OA situation. And unfortunately in the States, I don't know if this has caught up to Australia, but substance abuse treatment, that industry has sort of, it's very lucrative because they can use paraprofessionals or technicians instead of fully licensed clinicians in a lot of those situations. And once people see the incredible profit margin that comes from using peer support 12-step groups with a fee as part of their treatment, their treatment model, unfortunately, the profit focus takes over to such a point that that 12-step is saturated through not just substance abuse anymore, but eating disorder treatment, PTSD treatment. Oh. It's pretty awful. Oh, and yeah. oh my I God. hope it doesn't extend <laughs> out to Australia, but mm. here it's a get-rich-quick scheme for a lot of unscrupulous people. That's just horrendous. That's outrageous that that is a thing. Here in Australia, we are seeing a push for, you know, services to be provided by paraprofessionals, but it's not like it is in the States. And we have to fight like hell, I think, here in Australia to keep eating disorder treatment as a special area that needs to be, we need to be careful that we're getting the right people and level of qualification and just to protect people from this very nefarious industry from creeping in. It's no, no good. Yeah. I wanted to talk about addiction because one of the things I noticed with OA is their belief that people can be addicted to food. 
Yeah. Which is interesting because I was having a, I did a podcast a few weeks ago talking about this idea of physiological addiction to sugar and how that's just not really a thing. <laughs> But it, it's a very powerful belief by the sound of it. Is that right? In a way that it's yeah. addicted to food? Yeah. I mean, it's not just the idea of food addiction. They they take it a step further in that program to where people, whenever someone makes a decision in life in general that they wish they hadn't, or they get nervous or frustrated or anxious or something, it's very common to hear members of OA say something like, oh, my addict mind, you know, did such and such, or, well, you know, I was feeling such and such because I'm an addict. And a lot of these people are not. And there is a lot of cross-membership between the chemical substance abuse programs like AA and, and Narcotics Anonymous and Overeaters Anonymous. But for a lot of people, it's really not the case. Most of the people in OA are not people with like clinical level eating disorders, they're people who have experienced the pendulum of diet culture. Yeah. You know? They're weight cyclers and they're chronic dieters and they're, they're looking for the right diet. Yeah. And the idea of calling oneself an addict in that culture, a lot of people do it to fit in with the others, especially the people who've been there longer. It's another one of those self-deprecating things that might not be very accurate, but if they call themselves something like that, then the people around them accept them more. Yeah. Um, it's part of the culture of the program. Yeah. And it's, it's another thing that's quite a difficult concept to unpick. Like when I'm working with people with o, from OA or from yeah. especially FA, which is a little bit more extreme. Like in FA, they're definitely not allowed flour or sugar. And so to, to kind of work with people there to challenge that idea of food addiction, it's really difficult because it's quite like food is terrifying to people. Yeah. When I left, you know, I ended up working with a dietitian who was wonderful and very patient. I couldn't talk about food without crying, which... Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, that wasn't how I went in. I went in as someone who was of a larger weight than my doctor wanted. And that was the extent of it. And, you know, to really break down that idea that food isn't evil or bad or moralized, and especially that specific foods are not addictive. It's a hard one to get through. It really, really is because it's not just a program or a diet that you're following by reading a book or showing up at a meeting, but the process of self-identification with that powerlessness and hopelessness and all of that that's literally in the text of the program. It's really hard to unetch those things. It's like someone, it really is like someone leaving a cult. Yeah, I was just thinking exactly the same thing. It's like working with people who are leaving a cult and you have to be very gentle and go slowly and there's a hell of a lot of emotion that comes up as yeah. as people start to realize that the concepts and the beliefs that they've been holding on to perhaps for a long time, you know, that whole question of what if it's not true and my gosh, what's happened? You know, what on earth have I been through? Yeah. Like where did my time go? Where did my faith in myself go? Where did whatever healthy spirituality I may or may not have had before going into that program go when it got co-opted by this punitive higher power who's Mm -hmm. upset that I'm fat or whatever else it is? Have you had success in helping people move past their, the chapter of their life that was in a way? Yes. Yes, I have. (laughs) I mean, success meaning permission to leave. Yeah. Yes. But you know what? It is like leaving an abusive relationship and there's always a seduction back and the doubt. And so that's definitely a process, but 
I would happily say that the people that have introduced this whole kind of idea of intuitive eating and health at every size and that it's a model that really fits beautifully with recovery and from my way (laughs) because people have that experience of actually being able to trust their bodies and that's showing up in their own life and I remember doing a group activity once where everybody was bringing in like a food that they were afraid of that they thought they were going to binge on and everyone bought that food with them and there was one woman in the group in particular was terrified of doing this because she was in a way you know many uh, a couple of years prior so she was um, she was crying it was hard but she wanted to do it and anyway we did the exercise and like as usually happens and we were at a certain point in this group but as usually happens a few bites in people were recognizing oh you know I'm tired of the taste or I'm a bit mouth bored and for her, like you could see, it was like a revelation. Yeah. <laughs> she could not believe that she didn't want the rest of this food. Yeah. And like, it was like so many dots connected for her that day. And it was, it was a beautiful thing. So, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's difficult for people to experiment even because it's of the level of fear. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that one up because I think one of the other big things that really in terms of the diet plan part of OA that really contrasts it with other major diet, I guess the paleo diet and things like that ban Mm. specific foods as well. But most diets nowadays, people say, oh, everything in moderation, or you can have a bite or whatever as part Mm. of, as long as you're counting these calories or these grams or whatever it is. But in OA, the way that they say it, and this is tied into that addict identity that they really like to hammer home, that just one bite is going to send you into a binge. And oh, how does that saying go? It's one is too many and a thousand is never enough. They took that from, I believe, Narcotics Anonymous, which I would believe that's probably accurate for someone who's had a heroin dependency problem. But when it comes to, you know, I'd like a few chocolate chips, you know, it's not, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're not, okay. you're not going to you know, unless you believe that you will. That's right. And that's exactly right. It's, it's going to give you, you know, a nice pleasure center kind of jolt, but it's not going to hijack your dopamine pathways like an addictive drug will. It's not the same thing. Yeah. I think people in a way, the sheer terror in their eyes, someone brings up the idea of maybe having some Thing that was on there. They call them trigger foods in OA. The idea that it would just trigger this whole big reaction in you to eat the king. The look on people's faces when someone who's moved past the program has said, I eat such and such now and I don't have an issue about it. It's just this incredible disbelief. And I think it's from that whole deprivation making you want something more. Totally. Totally. I did a diet. It was the paleo diet. It was like eight years ago or so, five years ago. And after I was done with that, I mean, I would have dreams about beans because you couldn't have beans in the paleo diet, you know? And so I would explain that to some of my friends who were in OA and sometimes the light bulb goes off, but sometimes it's like that fear is just so tremendous that mm. if they have a bite of something, they've done something bad or wrong, but also that if they have one taste, they're not going to be able to stop. And they're told that day in and day out in the meetings. Mm, I know. And once you're told that when you binge, you're going to binge like hell. You're going to do that. And so it looks true. You know, that squishing of critical thinking is really bothersome. And I think that's what I try and do with clients who have been in a way is like gently encourage empowerment again, gently encourage critical thinking and try to kind of 
coax a bit of self-confidence before you can start the experiments with food. But yeah, I'm really glad that you got out. Yeah, me too. I mean, I went in at the behest of a a nurse practitioner who I used to see for another medical issue. And I thought that I could trust it. And I, I knew that she had never been through the program. She had only heard of it and she had some friends who went, but it's amazing when you, you walk in, you get love bombed at the beginning. People surround you and hug you and everyone's focus is on the newcomer. That's part of their literature as well. And so, you know, before I knew it, I was down the rabbit hole and I'm glad I was able to get out. And I want to mention something to your listeners too. If anyone is dealing with OA right now and wants to sort of test the waters of seeing what it's like to sort of deprogram from it, there are a couple of really good resources on Facebook. There's a deprogramming from AA, another 12 steps group that is amazing. I think if, if I hadn't connected with some of these people, the isolation of the eating behaviors in combination with leaving that program yeah. would have been unbearable. Yeah. Well, let's definitely pop up those resources onto the show notes from today's show so that people can access them because I agree, getting social support as well as, you know, hopefully some professional support if you can access it and getting out because it can be quite difficult. But such an important story and I really thank you for coming on today and talking us through your experience. And I, I appreciate the chance to come on and, and talk with you. Yeah, yeah, no, I came across you and we, you were making a comment about OA, I think, on a Facebook page somewhere. So I knew that that was a really important message to get out. So thank you for everything you do. Thank you, Louise. That was the incredible Helena Brooke. Thank you so much for being brave enough to speak out and give us such a wonderful account of your time in OA. And I hope for everyone out there that that was a real eye-opener because it definitely was for me. So that's it for another week. And I want to thank everybody for all of your continuing support, your emails, your lovely messages, and your fantastic riled up suggestions of topics that we can talk about here on All Fired Up. I tell you what, I'm definitely not running short of topics, but if there's something that's really grinding your gears, please get in touch. Send me an email to louise at untrapped.com.au and let me know what it is that's upsetting you and I will see what we can do about it. And if you are really enjoying the All Fired Up podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe so you don't miss the new episodes when they drop and give us a really nice rating. I suggest five stars if you really love it, just to help us get up there in the ratings and our message to get to more and more people so we can topple diet culture and I can finally retire and become a florist. And if you are looking for a nice free resource all about what this anti-diet approach and Hayes approach is all about when it comes to finding an alternative way of relating to food and our bodies and our movement in a non-diet, non-weight focused way, then go to untrapped.com.au and download our absolutely free ebook. It was written by me and the incredible dietitian Fiona Willer. And in it, we bust the top 10 obesity myths that are going around and we give a lot of science about our approach and it's a pretty fantastic resource to share around. So just go to untrapped.com.au and download that. It's absolutely free. And if you do that, you'll be on the mailing list as well, where every week I am finding more and more stuff to rant about. And it's mostly really different stuff to what I'm talking about here on the podcast. So it's well worth getting on that list. And the way to do that is to go and download the ebook, which is absolutely free. 
And for anyone listening for whom today's topic got you thinking about your own relationship with food and how you're going and maybe recognizing that some extra help is needed, consider our Untrapped online program, which does support and sponsor the All Fired Up podcast and has been created by me and 12 amazing anti-diet health professionals. I can't rate it highly enough. I mean, I know I'm completely biased, but I am in the community every single day and I can see the changes that people are making. I can hear people making peace with food, making peace with their bodies and making peace with moving in a really non-weight focused, non-judgmental, very supportive way. And it's a beautiful thing to see. And so if you are after something like that, then consider joining the Untrapped online program and that's the same website untrap.com.au right well that's it from me i can't wait to come back next week with a whole fresh steaming pile of diet culture bullshit in the meantime trust no one think critically push back against diet culture untrap from the crap 